Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to episode 66 of the Bossed Up Podcast. Before I dive into today's episode, I want to thank everybody in D.C. who came out to support the live podcast recording that I hosted last week, all about women and wealth. It was a really inspiring conversation, and those folks who attended in person got to ask questions of my three guests in real time. You all will be hearing that episode soon, as well as segments from each of the three interviews that I conducted that evening in just a couple more weeks here as we get that episode turned around for you. But I can't thank you enough for coming out and showing your support for Bossed Up, the podcast and the company where we started in Washington, D.C. In fact, it was the tail end of a seven day, six city speaking tour of mine with a lot of different women's empowerment conferences all over the country and companies that brought me in to help train their staff on all variety of ways of getting bossed up. So I want to thank each and every one of you for helping end that seven-day sprint with the best event of them all. It was a total delight. I can't wait to see more of y'all in person at next month's Bossed Up Boot Camp coming to Los Angeles, November 17 and 18, the weekend-long program that started this whole adventure, which is all about how to navigate career transition. If you are looking to level up, maybe considering a career change, looking for that promotion or next step, or just really feel like you need some clarity in your life and your career and where you're headed next. So if that's something you'd like to dive into in greater detail with me and a bunch of our amazing trainers on the Bossed Up Trainer team, make sure to head to bossedup.org bootcamp to see if there are tickets available. I've been pleasantly surprised by how quickly things are selling in Los Angeles. This is our California debut of Bossed Up Bootcamp. And it sounds like we're definitely going to have to come back because <laughs> LA women are ready to get Boston. Now, on today's episode, just one week out from the midterm elections, I couldn't think of a better topic to talk through than women and anger. In fact, having just cut that episode the other week in response to the Kavanaugh hearings about, frankly, my state of despair that I found myself in and how to deal with news cycles that are so triggering... Today, I want to talk about the opposite of despair, and that is rage. There is a lot to be angry about these days, but how do we make sure that we're channeling that anger in a productive, healthy way without suppressing it and taking it out on ourselves, even though sometimes the world sends little girls and women messages that that's exactly what we should be doing. So instead of leading off today's interview with a question this was more of a question that I had for my incredible guest who I was able to book with Kirby's help. So shout out to Kirby, our production assistant here at Bossed Up. 
who we were able to book on short notice. And she was very gracious in giving some of her time to us during what is a very busy time frame in which she's talking with news networks and all kinds of outlets about anger, gender, and how that's all coming into play for next week's election. So joining me here on the podcast today is Soraya Shamali. She's an award-winning writer and media critic whose writings appeared regularly in national and international media, including The Atlantic, The Nation, Verge, Quartz, Time, Salon, The Guardian, and a whole bunch of amazing publications. She speaks on topics related to inclusivity, free speech, sexualized violence, data, and technology. She's also the director of the Women's Media Center Speech Project and organizer of the Safety and Free Speech Coalition, an international civil society network dedicated to expanding women's civic and political participation. She's got a whole long list of accolades and achievements, but what we'll be focusing on the most today is her incredible new book that I cannot wait to get my hands on called Rage Becomes Her, The Power of Women's Anger. Now, I'm really interested about where women's anger intersects with women in the workplace. And we'll talk that through right after this quick break and a word from today's sponsor. So Soraya, if there's ever been a time to talk about women and rage, I feel like these past two years have been full of those kinds of occasions. And most recently, I actually released a podcast on the Kavanaugh hearings and just how triggering the news cycles as of late have been. Now we're on the cusp of those midterm elections. What do you think women's anger has to do with how our politics is playing out in America right this moment? Well, I think it's very clear that women are leading the resistance to Trump and to the GOP's agenda. They're confronting minority rule, right? And so there's no denying the connection between women their anger and these confrontations that we're seeing very publicly played out. I mean, there were right. the Kavanaugh hearings, you know, there were the elevator confrontations. We see this on the streets every day. Yeah. And what I find interesting, and your book, it sounds like, gives a really great historical context to this, is how different these expressions of anger in recent history look compared to our entire lives as we are socialized as little girls and as women, we're really taught to suppress that anger for the fear of it disturbing other people. Can you tell us how you bring that up in your book and what you think is changing, if anything, on that front? So, you know, historically, in times of political crisis, women have always been given a little more leeway to express their anger, to act these ways politically. And then there's always a period of retrenchment and backlash. Mm. And that may happen again now, you know, I mean, I think we don't know that. But very clearly, there's a shift that has happened in that the response to authoritarianism in the country is really being led by women. I mean, there's yeah. no denying the extremely gendered nature of our political divide. And yeah. that is notably different. Even women in the GOP while there are some who clearly support Kavanaugh, for example, and the majority of white women who voted for Trump, even those women are turning their backs on the Republican Party right now. And that's mm. really quite exceptional. Yeah. And I feel like I'm intrigued by you saying that 
women's anger has been accepted in some ways, although there is that backlash, because I think about the Kavanaugh hearings were a perfect illustration of what we all see in our workplaces every day, which is the calm, put together, helpful Girl Scout kind of attitude coming from Dr. Ford saying, I just want to be as much help as I can, being met with screaming rage, you know, red in the face anger from multiple men, including Brett Kavanaugh, whose promotion was still given to him. And so it sort of reminded, I think, a lot of us of how that double standard is still so alive and well, how women's anger translates as unhinged, as crazy, so to speak, or as Mm -hmm. impacting how people perceive her capabilities, whereas men seem to be able to get away with flying off the handle in a more socially acceptable way. Are you saying that that's changing or not so much? Well, I mean, I think there's a lot, right? It's not so much that women's political anger as individuals is more acceptable, because clearly we have a cultural and emotional culture that it's uncomfortable, profoundly uncomfortable with women's expressions of anger. And right. we also have a culture that is very uncomfortable with some men's expression of anger. So, right. you know, if Brett Kavanaugh had been a black man, I don't think we would have seen that display of temper tantrum that we saw. And that's really important to note because, in fact, that kind of anger is an entitlement. It's an entitlement that's been enjoyed as a form of citizenship that's recognized among elite white men, that the right to be angry and indignant in your self-defense in a political context has a long history. Those of us who don't enjoy that entitlement understand very well what the double standards are. And so all of us understood the very fine path that Ford had to walk. She was demure. She was conciliatory. She used the word collegial. She was really considerate of these people who did not treat her like a peer, did not treat her like a knowledgeable expert. Right. And so I think, yes, that's very clear. And we know that. And we know that if you're a black woman, it's not just that you're considered crazy, but that you're considered dangerous. If you're right. a Hispanic woman, it's not just that you're considered crazy, but you're also sexy or hot. If you're a right. woman of Asian descent, you're more passive maybe and sad. I mean, there are all of these iterations But the intent is the same, which is to trivialize the anger and then to shut it down. So in your book, Rage Becomes Her, you sort of walk through how anger is perceived in a woman's life over the course of their lifetime. What's the takeaway for the reader? And do you feel like embracing and owning our anger is something we can all do more of in our daily lives? What would that look like if so? There are a couple of takeaways. If I were to prioritize them, I would say, one, it's really important to understand how the emotion works and to acknowledge that as human beings, we have anger. Because the not acknowledging it or the trying to tampen it down, because of the way we're socialized, ends up more often than not hurting us as individuals. And I'm arguing in the book hurts us as a society because... Anger is really masculinized in the society. Even young children believe that anger is associated with men and masculinity. That's not good Hmm. for boys and men either because they're actually 
socialized to feel they don't have the right to the full range of emotions that they have as human beings. They can't express vulnerability and they can't express weakness. And so they end up with explosive rage often or suicide or violence. That's not what I'm talking about, right? So what I'm saying is if we can acknowledge anger, if we can make meaning out of it, what's the anger trying to tell me? We get angry usually for pretty good reasons. You know, why would we ignore that information? And as a society, what does it mean to particularly deprive girls and women of the right to be angry in self-defense? Because when we get angry to defend ourselves, that's when the penalties are highest. It's okay if we're like mothers and we're saying, I'm defending my children. People love that, right? Because it actually doubles down on gender stereotypes. Of course, If she's a mother, I can understand it. But if she's a human being and she's defending herself, mm, that could get in the way of this social order. So, you know, healthy anger, effective anger, anger that is understood and used strategically, all of those are the takeaways from the book. Yeah. And what does that look like? Because I also have set out through Boss Stuff to help women not just be the mama bear, right? Not just yeah. be advocating on behalf of others, but to really advocate and own their power and advocating on behalf of themselves, whether it's getting the raise, whether it's bragging about themselves strategically right. in an interview, whether it's, you know, defending their bodily autonomy in our relationships or whatever. What does it look like to own rage and take that back. So it's interesting because one of the first things I'd say is that you need to confront shame. Women Mm. feel a lot of shame about anger. And that's because there's a lot of conflict in taking on this emotion as a right, because it's so counter to the gender roles that we're supposed to fill. And so you have to consider shame and being shameless, be shameless, right? Like be aware of that. The second thing is, You have to care deliberately. And by that, I mean, instead of just being porous, because we're sort of expected to care and care and care and care and do the emotional work and the office housework and take care of the elderly and the young and our spouses. And that is really debilitating to a lot of women, not to mention financially crippling and all of these other aspects of our lives. But if you care with deliberateness, if you say, what is it that I'm going to do here? And you care in a way that doesn't hurt you, that doesn't cause you pain or stress, you will be a healthier, happier person. And so being able to put a stake in the ground and say what I know and what I have to say has worth both to my society, to my family, to my community, and to my country in this case, right? Like this is the place we're in. That is important to do. That's important for women to say. And I think we are seeing women do that. That doesn't mean the penalties have gone away. We know the penalties are real. The thing is we need to be able to confront them. And also we need to support other women. Stop judging other women. If a woman is mad, don't make fun of her. If a little girl is stomping her feet, don't try and like laugh at her. Ask her why, you know? We need to be kinder to each other because there are more than enough people who aren't going to do that. Right. And that's a message for all the men or little boys in our world, too, is to validate women's anger and not dismiss it as cute or feisty or any of those. Yeah, just listen. And I think we see that a lot between black women and white women in the United States, right? The idea that white women need to actually just listen, just stop talking and pay attention to what people around them are saying. Because in this political moment, especially while there is this rage and anger, I'm seeing a lot of people 
who want to do something, right? They want to act in a way, but they're really risking silencing people who've been doing important work and recreating wheels that have already been built. And that's what we don't need. Yes. So tell me more about that idea of channeling rage productively, because I think you've spoken on this in the past. We're seeing this immense amount of energy in anger, especially amongst women and women of color in the United States right now. One week from now, from when this episode airs, we'll have an election. That's certainly a time to productively channel our anger. But what would it look like for someone who's as outraged by the news or as outraged by injustice as a lot of our listeners are to channel that productively? Well, getting out the vote, running for office, those are two things that we're seeing people doing, right? Those are so important. You know, I kind of chuckle because sometimes my book is categorized as a self-help book. The self-help that is involved here is voting. It's running. That is the self-help, right? And so barring that, I think that what's important to realize is that to channel anger doesn't mean to be a new person or have to develop a new skill, just do the things that you're good at with the energy that comes with the anger. So if you're a creative person, make the art that accomplishes the goal that you have, make the music, be a community organizer. If you're a teacher, bring that to your teaching. You know, I think that we need to give up this idea that the anger is bad and negative and harmful. It is what we grow up with, right? Because so much anger is related to contempt or disgust. But in fact, anger is connected equally to empathy and compassion and social justice. And we need to make that clear. I love that because I always describe this as having a feeling, having a negative emotion. And then on top of experiencing that very stressful negative emotion, we have the meta emotion of, well, I shouldn't feel that way, which makes us suppress and spiral into that shame cyclone that makes us self-destruct and feel a sense of despair. And so another way that I've seen women really channel that experience in a more productive way is to get together with people. Build community. Yeah. That's right. And not to isolate, not to close the door. And worst of all, in this climate that is so divisive, not to tune out. Because I almost think that there is an intention behind some of the rhetoric right now, which is if we just overwhelm people with wild, alarming constant garbage on the internet, for lack of a better word, or just like an overwhelming amount of terror, then maybe I know a lot of personal friends of mine here in Colorado are like, I'm going to just take a walk in the woods and not even acknowledge this because of my need to to have that safe space. And I get the need for self-care, but we can't completely check out. Right. And I think it's important too, to acknowledge, I mean, you started off in our conversation talking about how traumatizing the news is. Yeah. Right? I mean, the news is traumatizing people. You know, we saw this over and over again during the campaign, like with the Access Hollywood tape and the not okay hashtag and then the Me Too hashtag. And now we've got, you know, the Kavanaugh hearings. And it has been three solid years. It's almost like every fall we have to have a cycle of trauma. And yeah. there are men who are experiencing tension and conflict and and sadness and trauma, but By and large, what we're seeing and hearing are these outpourings of women's pain and grief and despair that then trigger memories in other women, you know, and that's important to acknowledge because there is an element of exhaustion and there is a definite need to take care of yourself and other people. 
And how do you walk that walk while embracing and owning anger? (laughs) They sound very contradictory in a way. I think it's interesting because, in fact, I think anger can be a really contemplative emotion. We have this impression of anger as rage and as violence. And I think that is a misimpression because part of the reason for the name of the book is a play on this idea that anger becomes material in the body. It becomes the stuff of our bodies and our minds if we don't pay attention to it. It's implicated in a whole range of illnesses. It hurts your immune system if you suppress it. It contributes to all kinds of mental distress. But if you can think about it and it's interesting because some of the best studies I've seen are about writing. If you write about your anger and you're able to derive meaning from it, you have a much better coping mechanism all of a sudden. And that isn't the violent display of anger. That's a very quiet manifestation of anger. And so I think we need to give equal weight to the not very visible and healthier expressions of anger that people have. Yeah, I like that. I think of my father who is the figure in my life who grew up yelling at the TV (laughs) and who without really intending to, he got me involved in politics because I said, stop yelling about it. Let's go knock some doors. And that was me in high school. And that's how I got into activism and organizing from a young age. But there's a time and a place for yelling at the TV. (laughs) And recently I found great release and stress relief and being able to call someone up who I know we could just rant for a little while together and just get it out of your body and get it, you know, off your chest. So I think that's a really powerful, powerful point. I am also curious as to anger in the workplace in particular. A lot of our listeners at Bossed Up are coming here because they want to get ahead in work. And I remember seeing former campaign managers who I worked under screaming at their colleagues. And that was seen as normal everyday workplace behavior that clearly in this hashtag me too era, there's a bit of a reckoning around what is appropriate in the workplace. But of course, those two colleagues of mine were men. If I were to scream at my colleague at the top of my lungs, when I became the state director in that organization, That would not have been interpreted in the same way. When it comes to a woman who wants to express her passion and outrage and fervor and productive anger in the workplace, what are some of the risks and how can she maybe mitigate them while she navigates all of that? So this is a real dilemma, right? Because we know what the risks are. There's some fantastic research that's been done about how differently people respond to men's and women's professional anger, particularly like in the example this year of a study that was done of lawyers. So if an attorney in closing statements is a man and he argues with anger on behalf of his client, a jury's influenced by that. They're likely to actually support his position. Whereas if a woman acts the same way, she's considered less legitimate and credible. And that's what we're up against, right? I mean, that is a real hard wall to walk into. And so I think there are lots of things that culturally have to happen in an organization. First of all, let's back up a minute. The abusive behavior that a lot of men have displayed in the workplace is not an objective, right? Like we don't want those workplaces because they're unhealthy workplaces. And we don't want women to model that form of leadership. When people act that way, they're usually themselves not managing anger well, 
And they're leveraging an entitlement like that. It's abusive. They're probably working in other ways that are not particularly good for the organization. But if a woman has legitimate anger, which I would change, I would categorize as different from passion. Very often an angry woman will be called passionate, but a passionate woman who has no anger at all, she's just being forthright and assertive will be called angry as a way of dismissal. Right. Right. So I think we need to make these distinctions in our own lives and in the workplace. So the distinction between assertiveness, aggression, and anger is an important one. An assertive woman is considered aggressive and angry in a lot of places. Yeah. So we need to sort of call people on their shit and say, actually, she's not angry. Let her right. say what she's saying because she's knowledgeable and confident. And you would never interrupt a man and tone police him that way, right? So we all yeah. need to be more fluent in that language and support each other. We also need champions who won't be penalized. So if there are men in our workplaces who we trust and who want to be allies, they need to intercede, not in a paternalistic way, but in a way that says, hey, time out. If she says this, she's going to get punished for this. You can't be doing this. Like this is not acceptable in our work culture. And that's very important to develop that kind of network of allies. And then the third thing is very often in the same way that interpersonally anger conveys information that's important, that's also true in the workplace. And so anger in the workplace often indicates something that's not working in the culture. And so if you can reframe the anger in a way that is constructive in that context, right? So everyone in here is unhappy. That is not a good way for us to work. What's going to make us happy as employees? What do we need from our employer? Or I'm an employer. I'm angry. What is that saying? What am I actually angry about? And so you can start moving from the personal to the systemic by thinking through what the anger represents. I love that. And I always think, when training women on assertive communication and breaking down the difference between assertive and aggressive and helping people to see the productive use of assertiveness and the essential component of assertiveness to leadership, being able to point to a macro level solution and saying, if there is an inherent frustration in our entire team that is not being addressed, it behooves the employer to deal with that assertively. It, Im- it improves the entire workplace it does. to have it a Im- productive outlet. Yeah. That's right. And, and honestly, if you're in the workplace and you're frustrated by something that's really related to work, chances are yeah. really good other people are too. Yes. I would say though that there is a different anger, which is the anger of living with microaggressions all day. Right? And so if you are in a hegemonically masculine space, which I would categorize as a lot of them, right? Finance, tech, politics. You know, there are lots of environments where there's one woman in the room or two women in the room. That's different because in fact, the hostility towards you is an advantage to the men around you professionally. And it might be very unconscious to that. Very unconscious. But the tacit hostility, like the fact that such a huge percentage of women are mistaken for administrative assistants or janitorial staff if they're darker, right? That's a microaggression. We all understand what that's like. You know, you're the one who's going to go get the coffee because that must be you, right? And that causes the accrual of frustration. It causes anger. And I think at that point, a lot of people need to make a decision as to how much they want to invest in that organization. Because at some point, 
you probably have to decide, am I going to stay and force change? Right. Or am I going to go and find another job? Because this right. is a lost cause, which doesn't feel good, right? Because that often is the case. I mean, in tech, within 10 years, 50% of women in STEM leave those jobs. That's right. because of hostility in the workplace. We don't want those women to leave those jobs. And I think the hardest part of those statistics, and we just did a live show about that very thing, women in STEM and why that's happening, why women are leaving at twice the rate as their male counterparts. Right. It's so hard when you're angry at a system of injustice. Yes. Because it's like, you know, I think of that Simpsons trope of old man shaking fist at sky. <laughs> More like young woman of color shaking fist at systemic injustice and microaggressions. So it's just a very challenging environment to be on the receiving end of microaggressions and knowing this is the world I live in. It makes me angry. There's no single person to yell at or to fix this with. That's right. And And it can make you sad and kind of depress you. Like, really? Really? This is where we are? Yeah. So tell me, who is... Rage becomes her meant for. Who is the recipient of this book? Who should read your wonderful book? So honestly, I really wrote the book so that whoever read it would share it with two people. (laughs) One is teenagers, boys and girls, right? Because very often we're like, it's for girls. Let's give it to girls. In fact, we need boys and men to be understanding the problems that we face, you know, and so I would say that the audience clearly women, but the sure. goal is to pass along. To hear more about Soraya, to get her book, to catch up with her work at the Women's Media Center, and to follow her on Twitter, see all of the links in today's show notes or head to bossedup.org slash episode 66. And now it's time for this week's Boss Move Moment of the Week. Hey, Emily, I attended your boot camp earlier this year in D.C., and I'm so excited to share that I, it was my dream to move to New York. And I'm actually going to be moving there this week. And I have negotiated for a $37,000 raise in my new job. And I know New York is super expensive, so really it looks better on paper. But this is huge for me. I'm not only moving to the city of my dreams, but also have a much, much better compensation package. And I felt so confident going into my job interviews and really being able to share exactly what I was looking for with my new job. So super excited. Thank you so much for everything. Damn, girl, I am so proud of you. I am like trying to restrain myself over here from screaming into the microphone because God dang, that is a hell of a raise, a hell of a negotiation, and a hell of a new job. It sounds like you are aligning your career with the life that you want to lead and getting paid. And that is exactly what I want to hear, especially from bosses like you who have gone through Boss Type Bootcamp. So one more shameless plug, because this is what happens when you come to Boss Type Bootcamp, is to get your butt to bootcamp, whether it's our upcoming one in Los Angeles next month or back in DC, I'll be hosting our first bootcamp of 2019 at the end of January there. So congratulations again. And thank you for calling in. It makes a huge difference. And you really never know who you are inspiring to be the boss of their lives by doing so. If you've got a boss move to share, big or small, or have a question you want us to tackle on the podcast next, go ahead and give us a ring right now at 910-668-BOSS or 26. 
777. And now it's time for this week's weekly review in iTunes, my chance to say thank you for the words that you've shared about the Boss Up podcast in a public way. Because as a reminder, when you share your review on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, whether it's the app in your phone or the dashboard on your desktop, it makes a huge difference in terms of who discovers us and who decides to listen. And the review I want to spotlight today is from someone called Wake Maggie Up. And I think I know who that might be. In fact, you might hear her on the podcast very soon. She wrote, I've known Emily for years now, and finding Bossed Up Bootcamp was one of the best things to happen to me in my career. Even now, as an entrepreneur, so much of what she covers on this podcast is applicable and useful. I always share with my friends and networks. Maggie, thank you so much for writing in, and thank you for sharing. If you enjoyed today's episode and think that what Soraya and I talked through about women, rage, anger, and productively channeling that anger, share it. Take a screenshot. Tag me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, what have you. Share it with the women in your world who you think should be listening to it too. And know that when you share your review like Maggie did on iTunes, you're really helping get the word out about this podcast. And that always means the world to me. And that's truly the biggest honor you can bestow upon me and upon Bossed Up is by sharing what you find useful. And it's the biggest compliment. I take that very seriously. So thank you for sharing some of your day with me today. Don't forget to get out and vote. Maybe share that podcast about how to get your friends to vote that came out the other week. This is the time to do it. Make sure you've got your absentee ballots sent in if you're not going to be around on election day. And let's channel this anger in a productive way, shall we? All right, bosses, keep bossing in pursuit of your purpose. And I know that whatever happens next Tuesday, we're going to continue to lift as we climb. Let's face it. Speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And it actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men. And it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment, and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically 
and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup. 